In 2023, we're asking our readers and listeners to join Pellicle in helping us to become profitable. Every month, we pay writers, illustrators and photographers a fair rate for their work. And this is all thanks to our sponsor Hotburns and Black and the hundreds of people who subscribe via Patreon. We want you to help us hit 500 subscribers this year so that we can create a sustainable resource for Pellicle and so that we can continue publishing more written features and more podcasts just like this one. While Pellicle will always remain free to access, we can only keep our magazine and podcast going thanks to the support of our subscribers. So if this sounds like something you can help with, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash Mag to sign up. We're determined to produce one of the best drinks magazines out there, and we can only do this with your help. Thanks for listening, and now, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Pellicle Podcast. I'm Matthew Curtis. Today we've got a fascinating interview, or should I say interviews, with several people from Tap Social Movement, a brewery based down in Oxford. But before we crack into that, I should probably talk about where I've been for the past couple of months, because you may have noticed that the podcast had quite a bit of momentum going into the new year and I've not been around for a couple of months, so I feel it's only right I explain where I've been. For starters, I've been really busy with lots of various projects, including a very big one that I'm probably going to be talking about a lot over the next few months because I'm working on my third book, which is going to be published by Camera Publishing in October this year, all being well. It's called Manchester's Best Beer, Pubs and Bars, and well, I think that says it all, really. You'll be hearing a lot more from me about that over the next few weeks and months, but I'm at the point in producing the manuscript where it's really taking a lot of my intellectual capacity, shall we say. So that's putting a bit of a drain on me. But I've also been out and about a lot. I've been travelling. And do you know what? The other thing is, on a Sunday when I'm normally working on this podcast, I have instead been enjoying the last few hours in the Fiddler's Green pub, which closed down, sadly, last month. You may have read a piece I wrote about my guilt in drinking Guinness on the site. If you haven't, you should head over to the site and give that a read. But how I framed that was around this pub that I really fell head over heels for, the Fiddler's Green, which sadly, well, it's not sadly. The owners decided to retire. They'd run it for 33 years and they sold it so they could enjoy the rest of their lives. And it is sad for the community in Levenshume in South Manchester, where I live, because they lost a real gem of a pub, let's be honest. So instead of sat here working on my podcast on a Sunday afternoon, I was sat in the pub enjoying lots of pints with friends. And I don't think you can begrudge me for that. But I've got plenty more episodes lined up. And do you know what? I've even had a few guest contributors reach out to me who want to record some interviews. So you may hear a few new voices pop up on this podcast in the future. But for now, I'm going to try and crack on with all this content I've got recorded and get that out to you as soon as possible, in between working on my book, that is. Before we get to the interview, I always like to just check in. And regular listeners will know what I mean by now, but if you're new, 
basically, we're just having a good think about the beer and the pubs we've enjoyed lately. So why don't you just pause for a second and just think, what have I been enjoying lately? What's been comforting? What's been delicious? I was up in Edinburgh last week just for a very brief 24 hours to celebrate our fourth birthday. Can you believe it? Pellicle magazine is four. We decided to hold this party at the New Barnes Brewery Tap Room in Leith in Edinburgh. And many of you may know this, but if you don't, my business partner and wonderful friend Johnny Hamilton, who I founded this magazine with, he is a brewer at New Barnes and is based up in Edinburgh. So we thought it'd be nice to do something up at his end. And he organised this fantastic party for us, which we had last Thursday, the 4th of May, in their tap room. And thank you to all of you who did come down for that. It was a blur, honestly. The five hours we had the party just went by quicker than I can even remember. But the day after, I got to spend just some one-on-one time with Johnny, which, you know, we talk every day about running this magazine, but we hadn't really just hung out in ages. So we decided to go and treat ourselves to a nice lunch. And Johnny took me to a favourite restaurant of his called The Palmerston, which was excellent. But then we wandered just a few minutes around Edinburgh and he took me to a pub I'd never been to before called Kay's Bar, which was just a fantastic place. I could have spent hours in there, honestly. And Johnny insisted he ordered the first round of drinks. They have about six beers on cask, I think, but he ordered us both a pint of Fine Ales Jarl. Now, I don't know if it's just me or a bit of bad luck I've had recently, but Jarl's been a bit up and down for me lately. I've had a few pints that haven't quite hit the mark. And by that, I mean, this is a beer that's incredible. It's got a lofty reputation. So I have a certain expectation when I order a pint of it. But despite not having a pint that had really delighted me over the last few months, this one was an example of how on its day, Jarl is pretty much unbeatable as a beer when served on cask. It was just rippling with flavour and condition. It was perfectly kept, served in the best possible condition. And it was full of that wonderful, classic, citrusy, biscuity flavour. But it was so easy to drink. The first pint just slipped down and I was up at the bar ordering another round before I'd finished the last sip of my first pint. That is the true sign of a great pint. So it was lovely to be up in Edinburgh for a couple of days and I hope to get back there soon because there is a lot more beer stuff generally I need to explore. My followers online will have also noticed that I was out in the United States for a couple of weeks. For those of you who don't know, the reason for this is my dad lives out there. He moved out there in 2010 and has now retired out there. And he lives in a city called Fort Collins, about an hour north of Denver in Colorado. And Fort Collins is a fantastic beer town. If you've read my writing for a long time, you will know how much it has influenced me. But the main reason I was out in Fort Collins this time was to work on my book. And it gave me a great bit of headspace because I had those early chapters that needed a lot of research. There was a lot of history about beer in Manchester that I've been writing about that I want to include in the book. 
And I spent a lot of time digging through old PDFs and trying to get lots of interesting tidbits of information to provide lots of context to what will be a guidebook, really. But I wanted to have some nice narrative stuff in there. So there's something to read. So it's not just a guide. So I really got through a lot of that. And I feel like I'm making good progress with the book. And I had some really lovely beers in Fort Collins this time. But what stood out for me was two of the smaller, newer breweries there. Because there's about 24, 25 breweries in Fort Collins, then more as you head out. And then there's other cities like Longmont and Boulder and Denver itself. It is heavy with breweries in northern Colorado. But I was particularly impressed with another visit to Stodgy Brewing, making beer with all Colorado malts. has an absolutely fantastic beer garden and it's just out of the city centre. It's a really good neighbourhood spot. And there's a newer brewery, it's not even a year old yet, I don't think, called Hello Brewing, that's really central. It's near the gargantuan New Belgium brewery. And it's in this old house. The tap room probably only fits about 20 or 30 people. And I've really fallen for this space and the beers they do. It's the only place in Fort Collins that does lager on a Luca side pour handle, which I'm incredibly fond of. Basically, a side pour handle is sparkler, but for keg, but it costs a lot more to do. But that's what it is. But yeah, I've really taken to sitting in that tap room and just chatting about nothing at all and enjoying some great beers. But one beer I had while I was over there absolutely blew my socks off. You know, sometimes I think I'm bored of IPA. I think maybe I've had enough. And then I drink one that absolutely hits me for six. And this happened when I enjoyed a beer called Nazareth, a double IPA released to celebrate the great holiday of 420 by Denver's True Brewing Company, a brewery I am besotted with, honestly. They make great beer, they have incredible branding, and this beer, Nazareth, was no different. It was designed in tribute to the great album Dope Smoker by the doom metal band Sleep. And this was, I want to say, a no-coast mountain double IPA because it had a big, juicy, kind of citrusy, but cantaloupe melon flavour But all the malt was produced by Troubadour Maltings in Fort Collins. Not just produced by, but it's produced to spec. The malt is called The Truth. They've gone that extra mile, not just in sourcing local malt, but getting a local maltster to malt it to spec. And I think that's really apparent in how precise and defined the flavour in this beer is. Wow, it was absolutely incredible. You'll probably hear a bit more about this beer in my Beers of the Year list. I'm already starting to put them in my little spreadsheet ready for my end of the year podcast. Yeah, true Nazareth double IPA. I was fortuitous to be in town to enjoy it. If you are ever in the Denver area, a visit to their tap room is a must. It's not really a tap room. It's a metal bar that happens to be run by a brewery that makes incredible beer. And it's probably my favorite spot or one of my favorite spots to enjoy a beer in Colorado. Anyway, that's what I've been enjoying lately. Lots, really. It's nice to sit and talk about beer you've been enjoying when things can be a bit bleak. So do let me know what you've been enjoying. Find me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram mostly, at Total Curtis. I'd love to hear what pubs and beers you've been enjoying lately so that I can try them and maybe talk about them on this podcast. Anyway, let's crack on. We've got our interview with Tap Social, which I've said is cut into two different sections because I conducted a couple of interviews. When I visited the brewery to brew our Pellicle collaboration, Modern Bitter, Wake Up, 
which is probably all gone now. But if there's any of it out there, then get drinking it. It was a fantastic English hopped best bitter that we made. And I'm very thankful to my friend Brian Spencer, who is the marketing manager at Tap Social, who invited me and Pellicle to produce that collaboration. And it was while I was there, I got the microphones out and sat down with some of their founders, as well as their head brewer, Jason, to talk about the brewery. So Tap Social is essentially a modern UK brewery. It was founded in 2016. It makes lovely American hot pale ales, all sorts of styles, really. But I think their sessionable pales are the beers that really stand out for me. They've got their own tap room. They've got a pub called the White House. They've just opened a brand new bar in Oxford's Covered Market. And they own their own bakery called Proof. Being in Oxford, which is, it's a good pub town, but it's not really what you'd call like a premier beer town. It's got lots of good stuff going on, but maybe not as much as some other towns and cities. But a brewery like this that's doing stuff a little bit differently is definitely lighting a fire beneath that and helping to develop a modern beer culture to bring more people into pubs and bars and enjoy lots of interesting beer. But Tap Social has a point of difference. And I think to be a brewery in the UK today, where there's almost 2,000 of them, you have to have a point of difference, be it something creative, something totally weird, but just something that makes you stand out. Tap Social or Tap Social Movement, to use their full name, are very focused on a particular area of social justice in that about a third of their employees have spent time in the prison system. And they work with the prison system to provide employment from people who have recently been incarcerated and help them return to life outside of that. I won't go too far into it now because I'll just be repeating what we talk about in the interview. The first half of which is with Tess Taylor, who is one of Tap Social's founders and directors, and Matt Elliott, another of its directors, who provide some fascinating insight into how this brewery works and why they decided to make life difficult for themselves, really. After we speak to Tess and Matt, you'll hear me pop up just to break these two interviews up, and I'll probably say something like, support Pellicle on Patreon. It's really important. www.patreon.com forward slash Mag. I don't know. Let's see what happens. And after that, we will hear from Jason Bolger, who is the head brewer at Tap Social Movement. After talking a bit about how the brewery works, we'll get to talk about their beers as well, because this is the Pellicle podcast and we're all about the beer. But before then, let's get into the first half of the interview. This is Tess Taylor and Matt Elliott of Tap Social Movement in Oxford. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Pellicle podcast. I'm sat here with Tess and Matt from Tap Social, a brewery uh, just outside, well, the brewery's just outside of Oxford, but we'll say you're Oxford-based. Hi, guys. How are you? Yeah, really good, thank you. Thanks so much for having us on. Very well, thanks. Great. So I'm here uh, because we're brewing a beer today um which i think we're going to call wake up after the rage against the machine song that's what i've suggested i don't know if that's going to be the final name but it is going to be a dry hopped best bitter so we've got a lovely copper colored wort um and we're going to be putting some english hops in the dry hop 
um, there's going to be a little bit of centennial in, in the boil hops so it should be nice and citrusy hopefully drinkable and it's going to be on cask and keg so i'm excited so obviously when i should be working and brewing i'm here podcasting um uh, Tess and Matt, why don't you start by telling the listeners about Tap Social? Because yes, you're a brewery, but you also have a bit more of a uh, of a cause behind you. So maybe let's start with how uh, how Tap Social got started. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've been going for just over six years now, and we set up as a social enterprise, always with the purpose at the very heart of what we do, and it's definitely the main reason that we set up as a business in general. Um, co-founders and co-directors and I had a lot of experience um, working in the criminal justice system and we'd basically seen the massive lack of support and opportunity for people coming out of prison and we wanted to have a more direct impact on people um, and be able to see you know a daily kind of change in in the lives of the people that we were working with so we had this mission of doing something with people coming out of prison we wanted to enable people to have long-term and fulfilling employment and we thought that brewing was the perfect vehicle to drive that mission forward um, so we set up as i said about six years ago now initially as um, thinking we we're going to be a kind of wholesale brewery and have a small tap room on the side um, things have gone quite well for us in the hospitality front so we now have a few venues but everything we do is at the heart of um, providing meaningful long-term and fulfilling employment to people who are currently serving prison sentences or recently released and we do that by working with a fairly local prison to us um, we get guys out on day release programs so usually while they're still serving although quite a few of them will stay on and work with us post-release as well or we work with partner organizations to place people in um, in or- organizations that maybe aren't in Oxford or aren't even necessarily in brewing but people that we can vouch for after having helped them build up their CV and their work experience for the last couple of years. And you said beer seemed like the obvious choice. Why Why beer? Why brewing? Um, I had just moved to London quite recently, um, this back in 2015, and um, we were talking about the social enterprise side of what we wanted to do. We, you know, we were really passionate about that side. Um, and in the meantime, I got a job working in um, a craft beer place in London, mm-hmm. and I just found as a newcomer to London that it was this amazing environment. Everybody was so friendly and welcoming and warm, and um, it just felt like a real community straight away. And we recognized that it was a kind of similar situation for people coming out of prison and wanting to reintegrate with society and to make new friends and to make connections. Um, and it just seemed like a really perfect environment for what we were trying to achieve. Um, it's also obviously, as you know, a booming industry. There's um, so many breweries across the UK now um, and in all parts of the UK as well. So it wasn't kind of limited geographically by um, where the prisons are and where breweries are. And we just thought it was a really great industry that offered so many different jobs. It was such an umbrella. You know, you have the actual brewing and the production and manufacturing and warehousing, but you also have the sales side of it. You've got the marketing and the advertising. You've got the hospitality venues as a spin-off. And there's just so much opportunity there for people who, you know, maybe otherwise wouldn't be interested or introduced to this world, but also um, who don't necessarily have to start with a load of experience or a degree. It's something you can work your way through and um, and learn on the job, which is what we've all done ourselves as well. And uh, how many of your employees are former prisoners? Um, so as a company, we aim to always have at least a third mm-hmm. is the target. At the moment, I think we're just slightly below that, about 30%. Um, 
But at the current moment, I think it's 12 people who have joined us through the criminal justice system of the full team. Um, and that's across both the brewery, the hospitality venues, and we also have a newly formed wholesale bakery um, yes, so in there as well. I'm going to ask you about that a, a bit later on. <laughs> Brilliant. Why Oxford? Um, you know, you talked about how brewery has gone through a uh, brewing has gone through a boom, but when you think about beer cities, Oxford is probably not one of the the places that comes to mind. Although I will say, Brian and I had a, a good night visiting some some pubs, including one of your own, last night. But why did you side decide on Oxford uh, to be the home of Tap Social? Um, for a few reasons, really. One of them being that my sister, who is co-founder and director, had just been accepted for a PhD at Oxford. Um, so she was going to be either commuting in or spending a lot of time here anyways. And that gave us a bit of an itch to look further into it. Um, other co-directors, Matt and Paul, had both studied at Oxford previously. Um, so they knew the city a little bit anyways. But it also was close to HMP Spring Hill, which is the main prison that we work with. Mm. It's you know driving distance, about 25-minute drive away, um, which was really important to us to be able to get guys out easily. And for, and it's a DCAT open prison, which means that they were eligible for the Rottel programs anyways. Um, and then also, we just thought that Oxford, you know, it had a really interesting beer scene in terms of a lot of slightly more traditional and cascale breweries, but actually there weren't very many when we set up that were doing keg beer for one thing or anything kind of sour, um, anything a little bit more um, crafty and, and innovative at the time. Um, and so we thought it was probably a, a good place to start in terms of slightly less competition, a slightly less saturated market, um, and also just crying out for something a little bit different. And I think we found that um, it's been a really, really good fortune that we have set up here. The community has really welcomed us in. We've been really, really lucky to have, you know, a, a town full of people that are really interested in what we do and are really supportive. So we're very lucky. That's really great. Matt, I just uh, said that Oxford doesn't have much of a beer scene, but, you, you know, um, it does seem like there's a, there is a good scene here. How would you describe the beer scene in Oxford? Um, I'd say, yeah, it's definitely... Um, it's definitely growing. It's definitely there's a lot of enthusiasm for beer. Um, I think definitely you're right to say historically. I guess it's never. It's not necessarily been at the sort of the cutting edge. Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely not a kind of a place that people would have on the map as a sort of beer destination. Um, but it's definitely. I mean, we're we're seeing increasingly more and more pubs. There's lots of old historic pubs in the city centre which are. Um, uh, which are tied there's a, there's a heavy degree of tie in the city which obviously limits um, limits that kind of innovation to a degree um, but there's a lot more places that are that are opening up that are wanting to offer something different um, finally about a year and a half ago um, Oxford got its first sort of proper um, sort of craft beer bottle shop and it took until then to do it but the, the community in East Oxford has uh, really What's that called, sorry? That's uh, Big Scary Monsters. Oh yes, yeah, I went there last night. It's fantastic, yeah. Yeah, it's a great spot um, but they um, they were really kind of first on the scene um, and have been really, really embraced by the community. So the appetite's there. We, we found the same when we opened the tap room in, um, in our initial brewing site over in West Oxford. Um, it was a little bit of a a gamble as as these things always are but there wasn't there wasn't really much in terms of nightlife on that side of town there certainly wasn't anything in the city that was doing kind of craft beer and um sort of really really putting the beer front and center and we were blown away as tess says by the the kind of reception that we've had from the local community people have really sort of taken taken you know the organization to heart and supported us the whole way through so yeah i think it's it's, it's certainly growing the appetite's there 
and it's interesting because Oxford strikes me as a, a city that drinks a lot of beer. I mean, uh, you know, I was uh, out last night, and I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of the pub I was in. It was Tolkien's uh, pub. Um, the Eagle and Child, I think. The, the, the one opposite oh, the, Eagle, the Lamb and Flag. The Lamb and Flag. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. So it just reopened after being closed for three years, and it was uh, just great vibes in there. And you know, it, it was a very studenty crowd. But you know, so it seems like there's a lot of people here that, that like drinking beer, not just undergraduates but postgrads, um, the professors as well. I'm sure they and um, and tourists. There's, you know, the city gets a lot of visitors. So do you feel there's, there's, there's good opportunity uh, for a brewery to put down roots here? Do you, do you see this as, as somewhere you've got this, I want to talk about the pub you've got. Do you, you feel like you're going to expand more of a footprint than you already have here in Oxford? Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's certainly the, the opportunity there. As you say, there's a, there's a huge student population, particularly both the two, two big universities in the, in the city. Mm. Um, the interesting thing with um, Oxford University particularly is because of its college systems all of the colleges have their own bars and so I guess much like other student student populations you've got the student universe, union union bars effectively um, which are a little bit of a kind of a closed shop they're sometimes sometimes sort of difficult to break into um, but uh, but there's obviously a huge appetite with the student population there for, for you know, beer drinking and particularly as you say the, the kind of postgraduate community as well um, there's a big local local population. I mean, we are sort of um, where we set up with the tap rooms. Definitely was a is not really a studenty area at all. And I think it's probably fair to say our our main clientele until relatively recently in the in the tap room has mainly been locals rather than the kind of student or tourist community. We do have um, sort of on the cards uh, within hopefully within the next sort of six months or so we've got a new bar which we'll be opening up which is in the middle of town sort of in the historic covered market um, so that's our, that'll be our third hospitality site in the city and that one I think is probably you know it's right in the centre it's in one of the kind of main tourist areas um, but it's also a community asset which hasn't really been um, very well used I guess by the local community and particularly by kind of diverse areas of the community across Oxford so the idea is that that's part of every generation to try and bring even more footfall to the, the city centre and you know bring bring the offer to, uh, to more people uh, across the city. Fantastic so let's talk about your 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 pubs so we're at the brewery now which is a bit we're, we're a little bit out of Oxford now uh, and then there's the tap room so whereabouts is that? Yep, so the tap room is in West Oxford in Botley. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Matt mentioned, there was really not much going on there when we came. There used to be five pubs, apparently, in the area, and they all kind of closed down over the years. There are still two that remain, but they're quite a different offering than what we're doing. Um, and I think we kind of filled that middle gap, and it's, um, as Matt said, a lot of locals, and we get a lot of families and, um, you know, a really diverse crowd people from all walks of life. I think my favorite TripAdvisor review we've ever had was somebody saying that last night we danced with a group of goths on one side and a group of grannies on the other side. And it was like a magical experience of so many people coming together. Um, so yeah, Botley, it's, it's worked out really well over there for us. And I was in, I was in the, the White House last night, had mm-hmm. some lovely food in there as well. Um, tell us about that pub. Yeah, that was um, a bit of a COVID project I suppose we um, we were due to set up kind of spring 2020 which obviously didn't happen um, it was quite delayed um, and we had some construction and major work happen on the pub and then we finally got properly open I suppose about just over a year ago really um, doing full menu and um, it's been great it's a uh, again 
in a really residential area. We get a lot of locals and families in there as well. Um, we have a very talented chef who puts out some incredible food. We try to do a lot with the beer program there, as hopefully you saw last night. At the moment, we um, we have a lot of verdant beers on. We just did a um, kind of series with them. Um, so yeah, we we try to hit lots of different markets, I suppose, there. But the main ambition, again, is about providing employment for, for people coming through the prison system. Um, and a lot of the team that you may have met there or in the kitchen as well come from the prison. So... You know, setting up a brewery is a very challenging thing to do. It's it's expensive. It's not a high margin business. So, why did you decide to have that element to to sort of work with social change and and support? Why did you decide to essentially make things more challenging for yourselves when you could have just made beer and sold it? Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> it's definitely not without challenges. Um, and yeah, I think we we recognise that we have a lot of additional costs because. Um, you know, often we do have additional labor that we wouldn't necessarily have in a more streamlined business because we are really about the whole social purpose. Um, I said at the beginning that we set up with the mission at first and that we chose the kind of vehicle to drive it forward. Um, it's really what we're passionate about. And, you know, obviously along the way we've got extremely passionate about beer as well and about service and, you know, food and, and the bakery side of things. But always the thing that's pushing us in this business and that's motivating us to grow and to continue what we're doing is the employment piece and working with people coming through the system. It's just something that we feel, um, you know, this, the system is so broken as it currently is. And there's a massive problem in this country with recidivism. You know, over 50% of people will reoffend within a year of being released from prison. And unless you have organizations that try to make actual change, you know, that is never going to change and it's going to continue to be this vicious cycle that we see at the moment. So, um, yeah. It's a challenge, but um, it's something that you know we're very proud of and we feel really strongly about. And so, um, <laughs> as long as we can, we'll be continuing on that front. And what what would you say to a brewery listening now that was that's thinking? You know what? I would like to use my business as a vehicle for more social change. How, what advice would you give a business that that wanted to invest in that kind of thing? I mean, I think absolutely do it, first of all, is what we would always say, um, and get in touch with us if anyone has any questions. We, um, As I mentioned, we work with other partner organizations and we help place people so we can do the training side of things here um, while people are still serving, and then upon release, send people to different cities, wherever they're from, and people are always looking for opportunities when they're released. Um, but I think the main thing to really notice, and one thing that's important with us is we didn't set up as a charity. We are a limited company. We are, you know, we're a social enterprise. We have our um, social mission ingrained in our articles of association, but we set it very purposefully as a company to demonstrate that you can actually just be a quote-unquote profit-making <laughs> business um, and work with the, you know, making social change. So anybody working in your brewery could be from a prison background and you're making that difference but without actually necessarily having to have a massive difference in your business plan um, and so I think yeah the main thing is just about recognizing it's a massive pool of people coming out of the prison it's a huge population of people that are looking for an opportunity and for a second chance and we definitely all deserve that and so I would say you know give it a go talk to us if you're interested in specifically working with people from the prison system um, and in particular when you're looking at hospitality at the moment and we're in quite a crisis across the UK we, people are really struggling to find staff on the back of Brexit and COVID and you know the way that um, the labour market has really changed and 
again, a huge pool of people there that are, you know, willing and grateful for the opportunity. And we found that some of our, you know, most valuable, brilliant team members have come from the prison and they're just really dedicated and, and eager to work with us. And it's been a fantastic experience for us across the board. So go for it. That's, that's really great to hear. And, you know, coming out of, of lockdown and COVID and now headlong into this cost of living crisis, how are you approaching that, you know, it's no secret that brewing is a uh, reliant on lots of supply chains from from ingredients to chemicals to, to carbon dioxide um, and everything's gone up in price significantly uh, more than inflation so what's your approach to to managing that as, as things get a little bit more challenging um well yeah i mean as you, as you say it's it's a it's a very challenging time at the minute there's uh, cost increases going on um just about everywhere um, and obviously it's not something that's uh, um, exclusive to, to brewing, that's that's very much the case across uh, across lots of industry at the moment. But um, so I think well, first thing we're doing is just keeping a really really close eye on everything. Um, you know, we're even even more so than we already always would be is uh, making sure that we're really really on top of our costs and understanding where the increases are going to hit us and how they're going to impact us. Um, we're doing some things around sort of trying to get. Uh, bigger orders of uh, ingredients and things in and try and beat some of the price rises, things like that. Um, on carbon dioxide, we've um, uh, moved across to using mixed gas for some of our tank purges in order to try and, um, uh, just because the uh, surcharges on mixed gas is lower than, lower than CO2 at the minute. Um, so yeah, we're, we're sort of making changes where we can. Um, energy, of course, is, is a huge one at the moment as well. Um, we've, uh, you know, we're, we're very very close eye on all of our energy use at the moment and trying to sort of work out where we can make efficiencies and where we can you know change change our schedule to make sure that we're making better use of kind of the energy recovery from from the uh, uh from the brew process and things like that um but yeah it's it's challenging um we've so far kind of resisted um price rises on the um wholesale side um but, but it may come to it but ultimately it's, it's just then you know, pushes the problem somewhere else down the chain and it's um yeah it's, it's going to be challenging challenging few months yeah how do you feel heading into the winter and and you know i'm saying this as, as an optimist like do you feel that there is light at the end of the tunnel i i am also taking the optimistic view i think it's the right <laughs> one to take yeah, you've got to be um so uh i think i mean we and all of the um you know the, the hospitality industry and obviously everything um all of the supply chain, including, including brewery that sits behind it, really, really needs a good winter. We need a good run up to Christmas. It's been, you know, two years of having, two years, three years, I lose track, but it's, you know, several, several seasons of having Christmas whipped out from underneath the industry um, at short notice, and it can't happen again, um, particularly with all of the other um, other pressures and, you know, energy and everything else on top of it this year is really kind of compounding all the issues. Um, but we're, we're seeing, you know, things, we've had some really busy weeks in the um, hospitality business recently. Um, that obviously, that hospitality business, we're, we're very interlinked here as any, any brewery that has hospitality kind of um, side. But it does also provide a little bit of a, um, a relief valve, I suppose. So we, we know we will always have a degree of uh, volume that we're needing to push through the brewery, which is, which is kind of accounted for by our own venues. Um, and so it... 
when it's good, it's good for all all areas of the business. When it's less good, it's it's not. But um, but yeah, I think I think we're seeing we're seeing lots of bookings for Christmas, and we're seeing um, you know there's at the moment there's still lots of appetite for people going out and going out and enjoying themselves and making the most of the fact that they can this year for the first time in a while. Um, so I'm optimistic, um, but it's going to be. It's going to be a challenge. The first few months of next year will be a challenge for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully, the, you know, it's Christmas and, and the World Cup. Uh, are you planning to show the World Cup in, in your sites? Yeah? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully that brings you lots of trade. And uh, just a couple more questions, because we're going to speak to, to Jason, uh, the brewer, a bit later on. Good luck. <laughs> but... Um, the uh, let's talk about the beers you're making. Like, how would you describe the kinds of beers you're making here at, at Tap Social? What's inspiring uh, the beers? Um, so it's a it's a real range, um, and we're we're going through a phase at the moment where we're kind of experimenting a little bit more than we've been able to over the last couple of years. Where much like a lot of a lot of breweries, we sort of had to uh, had to hone down the range a little bit to what we knew we could get out the door. Um, just um, because of the circumstances being what they were, but we're now we're now able to sort of. Plus, we've recently moved. I should mention we've recently moved to a new, um, significantly bigger brewery site, which has meant we freed up a bit of production space to be able to sort of um, to get some new stuff coming out. So we've been doing lots of collabs recently. Um, we've had um, just just this week we're releasing a, a New England with um, Cloudwater, which we're very proud of. Um, that's going out this week. Um, we've had collaborations with Attic, um, with Wildcard, um, with Fauna Brewing, with various others. So, and we're we're really experimenting with a range of styles. One thing that we've not done a huge amount of recently is kind of um, sort of hazy pails and things, which are obviously very popular elsewhere in the industry. So that's something we're trying to do, trying to do a few more of and see how they work for us. Um, I guess in terms of where we've historically positioned ourselves, um, it's sort of we're very much craft, but we're this except we'd say the accessible end of craft beer we're not trying to um you know service exclusively the very sort of niche high end of craft beer um i think we took a strategic decision i think fairly early on that that wasn't necessarily the direction we wanted to go in um mainly because of the social mission it comes back to the purpose of why we exist as an organization um it if we're able to get more cans um, in more people's hands across a broader section of society and not just the, um, the really, really kind of geeky craft, craft beer um, team, um, I guess it allows us to tell that story to more people. Um, all of our cans, are, our branding is very much kind of focused around what we're doing um, and the cans have all got a little sort of um, talking point the idea being to sort of start a bit of a conversation with anyone who's got that can in their hand and think, oh, like, I, that's something I didn't know about the criminal justice system. That's an injustice that I didn't know existed. Um, and, uh, and hopefully just kind of get people talking about the issues a little bit more, raise awareness, um, which helps us to really sort of uh, further the purpose of what we're trying to do. Um, so, yeah, that was a deliberate decision to try and go slightly more... Um, slightly more accessible end, but as I say, it doesn't stop us from it doesn't stop the brew team, as you'll you'll touch Jason later, wanting to uh, flex his creative muscles and do you know do all sorts of all sorts of fun. We've been very creative today, making a best bitter, <laughs> uh, which I'm I'm very happy about. Um, and will you, be, you so you've been here six months? Is that right? In in this in the new site, yeah. And will you be brewing, or are you still brewing at the original site? Yeah. So um, we we are um, we've not brewed there a huge amount since the pandemic um, I think we've got one going uh, we've got a um, Christmas beer it'll be a, f- a fruited chocolate stout um, going in 
uh, in a couple of weeks, I think. Um, we, <laughs> that's always, it's always sort of squabbled for space slightly with the taproom operation. So we always, um, we always need to kind of coordinate with them and make sure that we're not tripping over one another in different bits of the organization. We've also had some, some really fun issues with water pressure there, which have uh, held us back a little bit. Um, but yeah, we do still, we do still brew there. And my last question uh, for the both of you is there's another element to the business now, uh, which I saw in the bar, um, a bakery. Uh, why don't you tell me a bit about that? Yes, um, we're really excited about that. So we opened Proof Social Bakehouse um, end of August, and it actually took the home of the previous brewing site. So when we moved to this bigger facility that we're in now, um, it freed up a pretty awesome space in Kennington, which is just the opposite side of Oxford from where we are now. Um, and it, you know, it came kind of purpose fit for a bakery. We had the brewing floor and we had the massive refrigeration unit, so it made sense. Um, essentially, we opened that because we had been making some baked goods out of the pub that you went to last night. Um, and we found they kind of took off for us. We got a real reputation for donuts during the pandemic. Um, and we found we were just struggling to keep up with that baking demand in the pub kitchen when we were also trying to, you know, feed 200 covers in a pub. So we started looking into opportunities for, yeah, starting our own um, dedicated baking facility. Um, the brewery move happened at the, the right kind of timing. And we, um, we set up the bakery um, yeah, over the last kind of four or five months, we've been setting it up. Again, it's another outlet for employment for guys coming from the prison. So we, we do the exact same thing there. It's set up as social enterprise. Um, we've got a nice little retail counter and cafe space there as well. And it's all very open plan. So you can come in and enjoy a croissant while you watch the bakers hard at work. And um, it's just been another kind of exciting way to shout about the social justice angle of what we do, but, you know, expand our range a little bit, diversify it makes for some good Christmas hampers with various <laughs> baked things and um, confectionery. Our head baker, Paul, is absolutely brilliant. He's really talented. He comes from kind of all sorts of backgrounds, from sourdough and pastry to, yeah, confectionery and sweets and really fancy um, dessert products. So, yeah, we're, we're excited about it, and it's... Um, going well so far it sounds fantastic and I, in, in the White House last night it, the uh, the cakes along the bar looked looked. Uh, I mean I, I went for the, the, the pork belly which was recommended <laughs> by the staff it was very delicious but uh, the cakes looked fantastic Thank and you. it sounds like you know things are tough out there but it sounds like things are, are going well for you it's great to see you you know um, making your mark here in Oxford It's and turning yeah. Oxford into a bit of a beer destination I, I feel I feel like the city deserves it um, definitely so. yeah we feel very lucky to be here and to, yeah, as we said, we've had so much support from the community and from other local businesses. There's a real brilliant independent business scene here and a lot of other purpose-driven organizations and a lot of social enterprises and charities. And it's a bit of a hub for it. So we're in a good place for it. We've been able to connect with loads of other kind of like-minded people. Um, and I think, yeah, we're just very grateful for all the support we've had really and kept us alive through COVID and <laughs> hopefully long may it continue. Amazing. Well, Tess, Matt, thank you so much for appearing on the Pellicle Podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. I thought that was absolutely fascinating, and I hope you did too. And before we get on to the second half of the interview with Jason, the head brewer, I do just want to say that we are trying to make Pellicle profitable and sustainable so that we can invest in our writers, our photographers, our illustrators and our editorial team, which is Johnny Hamilton, Lily Waite, Katie Mather and me. 
I want to make sure that everyone is getting looked after and is being paid fairly for their work. And to do that, we are trying to hit 500 subscribers. We are currently on 359. So really, we don't need that many more to make Pellicle, at least in its current form, sustainable. So if you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy our website and you can spare a pound, four pounds, more, if you like, the options are there. Please head to patreon.com forward slash mag to subscribe. And I pledge to you to spend your money on making our little magazine as good as it can possibly be. Right, short and sweet, let's chat to Jason, the head brewer from Tap Social Movement. Jason, how are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm very well. I'm having a nice day. I've done a little bit of, of work. No, you did, you did good. How do you rate my mash tun digging on a scale of one to ten? You can be honest. <laughs> I'd give it a solid eight and a half or nine. Oh, good. I'd take that. Yeah, yeah okay. I mean, there wasn't a lot of breaking. There was no moaning. I mean, you did much better than I do. <laughs> I enjoyed it. It was, it was nice to do some actual real work one day. And I posted a picture of the, uh, the cleaned... Mashton on, on Twitter and Dominic Driscoll at Thornbridge liked it, so I think that's another seal of approval. <laughs> Fantastic. But we're not here to talk about my um, my Mashton digging. We've we've heard a bit about the more the social uh, aspect of Tap Social and uh, the pubs, uh, but now it's a good chance to talk about the beers and like what you're doing here and, and maybe what's going to be happening at the original brewery site and, and when that's going to get up and running. But I think the best question for you is. Like, how would you describe the kinds of beers you're making? Like, what kind of beers are you, are you trying to make here? Traditional, modern? Who's your target drinker? Um, the main thing for me has always been just make really good beer. Mm-hmm. You know, make the best beer that we can. Um, we've done very traditional beers. We've done very modern beers. Um, I mean, we've done everything from uh, best bitter to Belgian Double. We've ran lots of sours through the original brewery. Um, I think, yeah, we just want to make really, really good beer that people want to drink. Mm-hmm. And what was the process like in moving here? So you've been in this site six months. Um, what was that expansion like? <clears throat> a bit stressful. <laughs> yeah, a bit stressful, imagine. but um, very good. All very, very good um, stress. It... Um, like any move or expansion or dealing with a lot of different people, there was a few, oh, hiccups, I would say, or, you know, things, and a lot of it wasn't anything to do with anyone's fault. Supply issues and stuff, you know, just not arriving on time. Uh, But we made it, and we were a little bit behind, um, but it wasn't bad, and we just had to smash it as soon as we could start to brew. Mm Is it much of an expansion? Is it, is it much bigger, this kit? Um, it's the original... Well, it's our second brew house. So the original kit in Botley at the original tap room is still there. Um, we then took on another brewing location just south of Oxford in Kennington. Um, and that's where the original four tanks, the four 2,000-liter tanks and the original brew house, or this brew house, came from. Um, and then we got another two 4,000-liter tanks there, and that site was pretty full. 
um, which led us to come to here. Mm -hmm. And then here we got another two 4,000 liter tanks. Um, and in the plans is another four 4,000 liter tanks for this location. Fantastic. Yeah. And you're from, did I hear you from Detroit originally? Yes. So what brings you to, to Oxford? How did you end up being a brewer uh, in this uh, lovely part of England? Um, well, I started out brewing back in the States, and I started out like many of us did as a very passionate home brewer. Um, and kind of 2001, um, I just moved to New York and... Um, started, you know, went to Brooklyn Brewery. There's a brewery up in Connecticut called, called uh, Captain Lawrence. Yes, uh, I'm, I'm aware of Captain Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. great beer. Heritage Brewery. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's a brew pub chain. It was one of, I think there's a few now in New York at the time. There's only one called the Heartland Brewery. Oh, I've been to, I've been to the Heartland that's like near the New York Times building. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I was like 2012. It was a while ago. Yeah. But yeah, I've been. So there, um, I think this location might have closed, but there was one at Washington Square Park. And um, it was fantastic. I met uh, the owner of Heartland there, John, because he had a f Farmer John Oatmeal Stout. And I was like, the guy behind the bar looks a lot like the pump clips. I was like, are you, are you John? And um, we had a lovely chat. And um, it was very, very interesting. And it's a small world. And the beer world is extremely small. So where my mom and dad grew up is kind of in northern Michigan. The thumb, we would say. Because yeah. Michigan's like, shaped like a mitten. Um, and when they were growing up and kids, every, like, kind of here, every little town had a brewery. And they were kind of the regional brewery for the thumb area. Um, unfortunately, the brewery has since closed. Um, but inside the Heartland Brewery in Manhattan, they had a poster of this beer label from very rural Michigan. So I was telling him all about um, that. And um, John bought me another beer, and we chatted, and he was very um, thankful. And he said uh, the beer label had a um, bird on it. He's like, I just like birds. And I saw it at a beer shop or a beer uh, convention and I bought it and I had it turned into a poster and um, so then at the end I asked for my bill and the bartender because I always like to sit at the bar and the bartender just said uh, yeah John said thanks for the story and it's on him oh that's wonderful yeah it was fantastic um, but anyway sorry I kind of got sidetracked there um, yeah I started out very much as a passionate home brewer and all beer and local was a big thing um, and then I moved to uh, Philadelphia and I took a kind of full-time corporate job and um, just didn't really like it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, uh, so got a kind of part-time job working in the local brew pub and um, kind of went from there and then ended up moving back to Detroit and working in a small brewery in Cider Mill in my uh, hometown. Mm -hmm. What was that called? The Northfield Brewing Company. Yeah. Uh, but then when they did cider, a lot of cider as well. Um, and it was fantastic. Really, really good, fun group of guys and people. Um, and to work there... Mm, maybe a year or so? Yeah. Um, and then... Um, came over here for a job with another brew pub company called um, Brewhouse and Kitchen. Oh, yes. Yeah, I know yeah. Brewhouse and Kitchen, yeah. Yeah, so um, 
I started at Brew House and Kitchen in 2015, 16? 2016, I think. Which one? Uh, the original Portsmouth location. Mm-hmm. So the very first Brew House and Kitchen. Um, and I was there for about a year, I think. And then I moved to the Southbourne location and was there just under a year, I think. Um, and then I saw the this position advertised on SIBA and really felt passionate about the project and really wanted to be part of it. Um, sent up my CV, got in touch with Amy and Paul, um, came up to Oxford, met them here. Uh, they took me over to what is now the original location. Saw that, kind of told them what I would like to do with the beer and they said kind of what they would like to do and we were very much on the same page. Um, and yeah, started here September, I think 2016. Mm-hmm. Well, so you've been here, you know, it's a long time in brewing terms. Yeah, yeah well, a good six years. Employee number one. How is it working for a brewery that works with the prison system? What has that been like? What What is it like as a head brewer, uh, you know, working in that system? Because it's, you know, it's quite unique in, in terms of a British brewery. Yeah, it is. Um, it's fantastic. Very rewarding. Um, met amazing people. Everyone that's come through the program has been fantastic. Just wants to work, wants to do a good job, wants to learn. Whether or not they're interested in the brewing process or the brewery, you know, getting a job in the brewery when they leave, mm-hmm. um, everyone's still very interested in the process and kind of what we do and um, want to learn and want to do a good job. Um, there hasn't, like, there's never been any issues or anything like that. It's been fantastic. Some of the, well, most of the guys that have worked with me in the brewery, I'm still in touch with. Um, one of the guys is a very good friend of mine, and we chat, you know, quite a bit and try to meet up for a beer when we can. Um, he lives in London now. Um, the, it's a very good program. The prison is doing amazing things. One of the downside of the difficulties is some of the rules of the bureaucracy from the prison. And that I understand. I totally understand that. But overall, it's a, a hugely positive experience by the sounds of things. Yeah, it's amazing. So you've been brewing for a while now. And, and as I said a moment ago, in, in beer terms, that's a, that's a really long time. So what inspires you as a brewer? What, what, what beers or what ideas in brewing... Uh, are you reading about or tasting and going, yeah, I want to try and get that into my beer? I love Belgian beers. I really, really love Belgian beers. I really, I've never been. But You've I, never been to Belgium? No, oh, okay. I want to go. It's right there. I know it is. I know it is. <laughs> well, one of the... Um, it's going to blow your mind when you finally go, because it's, it's exactly like how you imagine it oh, to be. I can't wait. Um, one of my very few regrets in life... Um, uh, kind of 2019, but it was pre-COVID. I think it might have been the summer of 2019 when it wasn't even in Europe yet. It was kind of, you know. Um, friends of mine did a trip and were like, we're going to rent a minibus, we're going to Belgium, we're going to hit up all these breweries, we're going to do this, do you want to come? And um, 
I should have just said, yeah, I'll go. Um, but unfortunately, just my circumstances didn't allow it. And I could have pushed and I should have. Um, but I just thought, you know, it was always, oh, we'll go next year. You know, we're going to go every year. Don't worry. And we haven't been since. Mm. <laughs> they haven't been since. So I haven't been to Belgium, but I'm dying to go. But Belgian beers, I love um, doubles and triples and saisons and, you know. And yet you, do, you brew quite a lot of uh, what I would call American-inspired beers here at Tap Social. Certainly a lot of nice hoppy pails, some, some nice new hazies, the new Cloudwater collab we tried earlier. It's tasting great. Thank you. So... Uh, do you still think you're pulling a lot of influence from, you know, American beer ideas and, and, and you know, where are these recipes coming from? Um, I think so. I mean, a lot of the recipes um, are ones that, you know, I've come up with over the years or things that I think would just, you know, I want to try this. Let's give it a go. Um, some of it, we've done a bunch of collabs recently, which has been amazing. Um, and it's always fun to brew with other brewers um, and learn just little tips and tricks and little um, things how people, you know, do something very simple that's, they make it even simpler, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, that's been fantastic. I, um, Any particular highlights? You said, you said you went to brew with Wildcard recently, didn't you? Yes. Um, Jago was um, amazing. If anything from her, I mean, the, dude, the brew day was fantastic, but um, she was probably the most calmest brewer I've ever worked with. You know, there was no... And it was like a few days before her wedding. I think she would have been, you know running around and going crazy and everything was just so calm and smooth and nice and relaxing and um, yeah it was a fantastic day um, yeah just yeah take it easy that's what I learned let's talk a bit about what we're brewing today so I uh, I when um, you asked if, if Pellicle would collab and I came down, I said I wanted to do something that would work well on cask. And the, brew, the original brew date was uh, a bit earlier in the year before we got pushed back to today. So yeah. it's the end of October. And I wanted to brew a golden bitter, like a very northwest English style bitter. But because it's getting a bit colder, we thought we'd go for something a little bit darker. So we've got some nice uh, specialty malts in the mash doing like a a bitter a best bitter yeah um, we've got some heritage malt from Crisp some plumage archer have you have you brewed with that many times before I haven't ever used it before I've been wanting to um, and I just feel like um, collabs are a good place to kind of try new things um, and so yeah I was very excited when you guys said you know we'd love to use some heritage malts and um we're on a big push right now for kind of, you know, the hazy pails and more modern beer styles. Um, so, yeah, that's where the kind of idea came from was, well, what if we tried to do, uh, you know, kind of heavier dry hopped, you know, beer, cask beer. Um, and to so that, that's kind of what we're going to do. Um, but we're going to, you know, find the beer, make it nice, clear, traditional cask, but hopefully it's a bit... Um, punchier 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think the the plumage archer. It's a, you said it came out a bit darker than you were expecting, which was interesting. It is a lovely copper color, and that um, the malt had a nice nice sweetness, but it was quite biscuity and it had that cracker dryness at the back of the throat so yeah. i think that would be a nice platform uh but then we're mixing it up a bit with the hops so we've got american hops uh in in the boil yes um we're gonna go with centennial and cashmere yep um and then we're gonna dry hop with all english which is really interesting so centennial classic lemony uh sea hop great yeah. for ipas and then cashmere is quite new and it's quite sort of cantaloupe melony kind of it's not it's kind of mellow isn't it yeah um but then the dry hop which which i won't be here for but uh, the hops arrived today we've got first gold uh archer and endeavor yes and so we were reading about those earlier weren't we yes. and um they've all got nice sort of like citrus fruit and like they're they're mellow yeah um, so we're going to throw a lot of them at the beer though aren't we we are we are we're going to go with um quite a good dry hop um, and hopefully, you know, we'll pick up a little bit of kind of citrus notes um, and then kind of more fruity, orangey marmalade um, from the British hops. Yeah, definitely. I'm hoping that it's got that nice, robust malt platform because um, it's going to be about 4-3. Four, 4 to 4-3. Four, yeah. Uh, and, but should have like just a nice, citrusy, punchy, modern flavor it's a, dr- a dry hopped modern bitter yeah i think it should work i hope so like, i think so like uh, it's been it's been smelling great it has. in the brew house all day all the brewers seem to be excited that there's like a, a darker work coming out because you know there's a lot of pale beers out there there are um and uh, so people seem to be fond of that and we're gonna get some casks by the time this podcast comes out we we'll probably have drank it all i hope we've drank it all Fantastic. but uh yeah I, like i'm pretty excited about yeah, it yeah me too um, so thank you for letting me come down and uh, and and dig the mash tun. No, you're welcome. Thank um, you. <laughs> you also brew uh, a lager. We do. Um, so, like, how important is it to have that in your range? Because you know, you, most of the beers I've tried from Tap Social have been hoppy beers, uh, you know, American pale ales, IPAs, that sort of style. But um, what's the importance of, of having that lager? And, and uh, do you have to approach that differently to your your pale ales? Um, yeah, we approach it differently. We kind of went with more um, traditional European lager. To have a lager in the range, at least for us, has been extremely important. And when we moved to the new, well, the first new location in Kennington um, and could brew a lager, that was a game changer for us because um, it's our second most popular beer in terms of sales. And which is the most popular? Uh, the IPA, mm-hmm. Time Better Spent. Um, yeah, those two are, we always have tanks of them on the go. Yeah, the lager for us was, was quite a big deal. We, we, it took us a few um, iterations to kind of get to the recipe where we are. Um, but now I'm extremely happy with it. Everyone's very happy with it. Um, 2001 came second in the SIBO Awards, which I was quite pleased with. Yeah, and that's, that's tough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Blind tasted, lots of entries from hundreds of breweries around the UK. So that's that's very cool. Yeah, yeah, it was over the moon, you know. Um, so yeah, it was our first year entering, and we submitted three beers, and the lager took silver, and the stout took bronze. Excellent, yeah. well well deserved. I've been enjoying them over the last twenty four hours. I've been down here in Oxford, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, so you're all sort of settled in. It feels like you're settled in here at the new site. 
what's happening with the original site? I understand that there are plans to get that up and running and, and uh, what's the timeline for that and uh, what sort of beers do you think you'll be making uh, on the original kit? The original kit is kind of turned into almost the pilot kit because it's, um, it's about 800 litres. Um, you can push it a little bit, but sometimes it gets a bit messy. <laughs> um, but we, um, we kind of, once we started brewing in a couple years ago from COVID, it kind of just was on the back burner, so to speak. Um, we brewed a sour there. Um, a couple months ago. Um, anyway, and it's gone down very, very well. The brewery... Um, is a good size to do more experimental beers. Um, and so we're hoping to do Christmas um, stout. Um, That's very Belgian inspired. Yeah, so um, kind of s strawberry chocolate stout. Or maybe not. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, uh, maybe a little bit of spice, but we'll see. We're, we're kind of trying to f figure out where we want the ABV to end up. Um, we're kind of on the extremes of, you know, let's go smash it and, you know, have a super strong. And then some of us are like, well, you know, four and a half, four, eight, something a bit drinkable, you know. But it was interesting in the, in the uh, Lamb and Flag last night when you had your IPA on, which is a sensible 5.1, a very drinkable beer. But there was a customer who, was, who looked at it and went, oh, 5.1, that's too strong for me. Do you think, do you think, because in, in Manchester, I feel... Um, we've become there's been an ABV creep it's people have got used to to stronger beers being on the bar because there's a lot of breweries in Manchester that make stronger beers yeah is that a bit more of a challenge here in Oxford do you think um it is I think some drinkers are still very traditional in Oxford being as old as it is with the heritage of all the pubs um which is fantastic and we all love um there are some people that are very traditional um, and anything above, you know, four and a half is, oof, it's a bit strong. But, I mean, we've, we had a Belgian Dubalon, and we brewed it for a couple years, and it was 7.3%. Um, and we didn't, it didn't fly out, but we definitely sold it, um, and it always did very well at our own tap room. Um, but I think people go to a tap room to drink, you know, kind of new and exciting things, but yeah, that, that's um, we're we're starting to get there. I think people are getting a bit more adventurous. Definitely, there's there's some great great pubs in Oxford, but it feels like there's a little bit of a scene bubbling away. Uh, last question, just to wrap it all up neatly: someone walks up to the bar, and you're happen to be standing behind it, and and they ask about tap social beers, and so they're going to have their first tap social beer. So, how would you explain what you're brewing and what you're doing as a brewery to this person who'd never encountered your beers before? One thing, well, the two things that I always say to someone, if, they're, if that's happened, it has happened, um, I'll always say, well, what do you normally drink? Because then that's a good gauge of where they are. Um, and then I'll try to give them a sample of what I think is the closest to that or something that I think isn't going to, you know, blow their heads off in terms of ABV or flavor or, you know. Um, and say, so we'll try this. But then I always pour something that I think would be a bit adventurous for them, and say, you know, have you ever tried a sour beer? No, no, no. What's what's a sour beer? Well, here, try this. You know, this is how we make it, and this is what's in it. And um, you know, the amount of people that will try it 
and you know, it's like, oh wow, oh wow, geez, oh that's that's lovely, yeah, a pint of that. And then what you got to do is you always got to watch them for that second one, because if they go back and they have the sour again, then you know they weren't just being polite. You know, absolutely. <laughs> um, but but I don't mind even if people have a pint and say, you know, it's it's just not for me because they tried it, and I feel like sometimes you know you got to try new things to see what you like and experience new things. Um, and sometimes having a taster of something isn't a good representation of what we do. Um, so I always kind of say, well, I'll try a pint, you know, see how it is. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what I do. Awesome. Well, Jason, thank you very much for having me down at the brewery today and, and letting me uh, brew a beer with you. Yeah, fantastic. And do some work. And uh, thanks for chatting. I look no, forward you're to welcome. look forward to trying this beer in a few weeks' time. Yeah. Cheers, man. Cheers. Cheers. It's really nice to get the opportunity to talk to people from different parts of a brewery. People who are more involved with the operations and marketing side and the people who are involved in making the beer itself. A brewery is not simply brewing alone. There's so many elements to it. So I'm glad we can piece all that together and show you a brewery that just does things a little bit differently. I want to commend Tap Social for their efforts. I think it's a fantastic and noble cause. And thank you to Tess, Matt, Jason, and to Brian for having me at the brewery and letting me chat to you about what you do. Anyway, that's it for this week's show. I'll be back as soon as possible. I do have some more stuff recorded and the next episode will be a panel discussion about the great city of Manchester, where I live, that I recorded at Marble Brewery towards the end of last year. So keep a lookout for that one as it will be with you as soon as I am able to get it out there. Thanks again for listening. This has been the Pellicle Podcast I've been Matthew Curtis and I will catch you next time.